Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 578, air date April 17th, 2020. So we're streaming here. People are coming. Good evening, everyone. We're going to be doing a discussion on the foundations of real science, systems health. We're going to talk about, uh, get a little more deeper. I think everyone um, is aware of the points I've been making about the immune system. We'll be covering that. But we want to really have a discussion about uh, science. A number of people get attacked just going against their own common sense. And um, so I want to talk about uh, where does science come from? What is the origin of science? Who is deciding what truth is? And obviously we want to cover my credentials because people typically take advantage of other people's lack of formal credentials. So we're going to cover that. Let me go over uh, to uh, introduce. I think we have everyone here. I think we're in good shape. Sound is good. And let me start here. And I'm gonna bring in a very good friend of mine, Anomaly. He and I have done interviews before. Anomaly, I have you split screen here if you can say hello to everyone. Uh, amazing, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for your work and uh, it's great to reconnect. I know we, everyone was like, get, to, get with Dr. Shiva. I was like, we actually talked last year but this is a way you know, more crucial time I think and you've really been shining among times of uh, darkness you've been really crushing and I'm, I'm glad a lot of people are listening to you and really getting the true story of science and how the scientific method is supposed to work so appreciate you having me and uh, it's, it's a pleasure yeah so where do we want to start anomaly I mean we're gonna have a conversation here but I think we really want to start around what is science I know you wanted to sort of have uh, sh me share with people sort of my background I think that's what I, I mean on the science side I, I don't yeah. I've been getting a lot of people have been getting on Facebook. You're not a scientist. You're not an expert. Leave it to the experts. Leave it to the scientists. You don't know what you're talking about. And I know that you have a big background in that. You have degrees. You have experience. And uh, you you don't seem as indoctrinated and maybe as sheep as a lot of other people. So just I guess let people know in my audience your background and why you know it's okay to question and ask and be a critical thinker even if you're not a uh, you know mm -hmm. triple. PhD. Yeah, so I, to people listening on Instagram, if you literally go to our YouTube, you can see Anomaly and I split screen, or you can also go, I think I'm on Periscope. Um, but let, let's start with this whole discussion about uh, what is a scientist? What is science, right? Let's start there, and where does it come from? If you actually go back and you look at the origin of science or, and innovation, they go hand in hand, right? Um, science is really about um, asking a question and so one of the most important things in science is the questions that you ask you know when Einstein really asked what is light or what is the speed of light these were fundamental questions and or Newton asking why does the apple fall I mean these may seem like such fundamental questions but there was a time in history people would just reflect upon nature and ask these very fundamental questions it wasn't a, uh, a scientific factory about tons of PhDs working at MIT and Harvard, the National Science Foundation, NIH, uh, this gargantuan industry of science, right? So that's what it's become, but most of the great discoveries, most of the great innovations came outside of that centralized establishment. So we have this theory that's been shoved down our throat that everything occurs in the center or this notion of a center. In um, you know, there's a book that I really encourage everyone to read that I put out there. In fact, when people support our campaign, I they can you know put a donation, I give it to them. There's a but and if people can't afford an economic distress, we're giving scholarships to get that book. 
It's called System and Revolution. And System and Revolution really goes to the foundation of fundamentals of science, which is understanding the inter relationships between objects. So one way to think about science is, how does that apple relate to the earth, right? How does uh, motion relate to the movement of light, okay? It's always been about an understanding relationships between two or more things. So that's the way I look at science. And from understanding those relationships, we start understanding uh, what we call laws of the universe. And these laws of the universe aren't something we come up with right away. We observe, uh, we have a hypothesis, we observe data, we get the data, and we say, does it match my hypothesis? And you keep going around and around it. It's not an easy thing. It's like being a farmer, you have to plant, you get some stuff, you know, things don't work, and you go around and around in this process. It's an imperfect process. But at the end of it, the more you see certain phenomena repeating itself, you go say, oh, you know, force equals, you know, gravitation times mass one times mass two over r squared, right? Law of gravitation. Whoa, whoa, whoa. When things start moving at the speed of light, things change a little bit, okay? So you have to refine these laws. But fundamentally, it was about understanding the relationships with things. So a lot of my life has been about understanding uh, biological relationships, you know, relationships you know, using computers, but also trying to build a framework so all of us can have a systems approach to understanding these things. So that resulted over a long period of time in, in building essentially a way to teach everyday people um, sort of what I call sort of the fundamentals of these relationships, which I call systems health or systems thinking. And I built a whole language for people to understand it. So I could literally take anyone now and you know, we put an online way to do it. They, they can read books and, I, but, and they can also have a laboratory tool, which I call your body, your system. Because the idea is the same principles of science of systems, what works in our body, if the, the principles must be invariant, must also work in your computer, must also work in your thermostatic, everything. So all the fundamental rules of science must be invariant. And that resulted in a understanding that came from going through the entire process of long before MIT, observing how my grandmother did science, you know, working as a research fellow, as a 14-year-old kid in, in, in medicine, and I'll go, go through my resume because I think people need to perhaps know that so they, they can share that with others. But then coming through the MIT experience and then going back to India for two years where I took all that knowledge and I was able to connect the dots. What I found was that there's a foundational knowledge, which I call systems health. And in fact, people are interested, they can go to systemshealth.com. And I've built to essentially a whole little online university education. This has been sort of 50 years of my work. And people, I call it, a, a, you know, educating leaders to ignite a systems revolution for truth, freedom, and health. And if people go there, what they'll realize is that you can literally take a little bit of time and you can learn sort of control systems theory that took me many many years to learn and then you can learn you can learn it in such a way that you can teach others because i believe when you teach is when you learn because when i used to teach is when i had to really ask some deeper questions like some of the stuff i learned very quickly when i was teaching to students you actually have to ask even you have to be even more honest and you go through this iterative process and then you can serve people so systems health is an interesting sort of journey that i went through but I know, Anomaly, before we started, you wanted me to sort of share sort of my whole resume in some sense in a very formal way. And I can do that if you, if you want me to. But, you know, uh, there's an informal part of my education, which began as a kid in India watching my grandmother, you know, practice traditional systems of medicine. Then my formal part really starts 
you know, high school, etc. But I started working as a full-time research fellow as a 14-year-old kid. I'm talking about as a full-time professional scientist. Maybe hard for some people to believe. And I did that starting at uh, 9th to 10th grade, 10th to 11th, 12th, and all the way through my MIT career. So people want to actually share this with people. So if anyone says, who is this guy? And how dare he question Fauci? How dare he? Well, I'm, I come from the establishment. Uh, the only difference is I'm not part of the establishment, okay? And in some ways, my grandfather used to tell me one of the most uh, beautiful flowers is the lotus flower. And he says, a lotus flower, do you know where it grows? He goes, it grows in the deepest shit, okay? It does. The lotus flower grows in shit, but it stays above the shit. And he used to say, that's sort of how you want to live life. You, 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 you can be among, sometimes you, you, you learn a lot by being around a lot of crap. But you want to always not get immersed in that crap. And I, I really want to know your your background, your expertise, because to a lot of people on Facebook, on Twitter, average citizens who are skeptical about what's going on, if they ask any questions outside of the health experts, they're called conspiracy theorists or they say stick to the experts. So I want to hear your background for that reason. And also, you're talking about the systems approach and you're also making real points about how anyone could be a scientist if you're, you know, you ask the questions to the experiments and such. Uh, where do you think the health industry went wrong or do you think it went wrong? Because when I look at stuff as a critical thinker, I look at the food pyramid. They said sugar, cereals, bread, and you're like, cereals made of sugar, that's not good. Bread is not specifically great for the human body. How did that go? You know, big agriculture, corruption. And the more you look, there is corruption. So when I, I ask the questions, I say, I believe health experts, but I want to hear from somebody like you who has that same education but thinks outside the box because a lot of people don't realize or maybe they don't want to admit that there is bureaucrat and corruption just like there can be in sports, politics, anything. There can be in the health industry as well. As well. And the more you look into their science, their data, their models, seems like a lot of corruption, a lot of political interest, and not that much science. And when you ask a real question, they almost want to censor you rather than uh, answer you. So, uh, you know, I'd love to hear your your degrees, your backgrounds. I understand you started early and they, uh, you know, with email and such, and then move further. But, uh, you know, do you think it's corrupt and do you think they got away from the systems approach in big bureaucratic health experts that they're feeding us right now with the coronavirus yes, scandal? Yes, so, so what, what I'd like to do in the next, let's say, an hour, right, if we can do that, is I'll walk you through my background, right, so people understand my journey. Um, but I also want to, if I can take about 15, 20 minutes, I want, I'm going to teach you guys the fundamentals of systems thinking. So everyone's going to get a class in condensed 20 minutes about foundations of systems, okay? Because Please I do. think, I think uh, because you know, I've talked a lot about exposing Fauci, you know, all those things, but I, I wanna share with you guys a little bit of science. So everyone listening today is gonna learn some science. And it's, it's a science that integrates Eastern medicine, it integrates engineering systems theory, it, it integrates general systems uh, theory, but you're gonna learn what are the fundamental three f phenomenon that run everything in the universe. And those three phenomenon, you can use your body as an experimental lab to understand these three forces. And those same forces occur in your computer. Those same forces occur in your thermostat in your home. Those same forces occur everywhere in nature. And if people understand those three forces, you can actually understand, oh, this food, when I drink coffee, what force of those three forces does it actually affect? Sometimes combinations of but you can start actually seeing that we interact with our ecosystem through the interaction with these three phenomenon. And once people get this, 
anyone can actually learn medicine or systems in a very foundational way. And in some ways, I think what I've uncovered is sort of the foundations of science that can be explained to people. And, and this foundation actually has been taught for 5,000, 6,000 years. It's this, they used a different language and the people who were teaching that or using that didn't even know what they were teaching. In some ways they become, so I wanna talk about this, but let me just, uh, since you ask, uh, if people go to vashiva.com, which is my website, uh, it's my personal website, but if you go there, um, you'll see along the top, I got all these sliders, it's really well done. Uh, by the way, I have a degree in art and design from the MIT Media Lab. I studied with one of the greatest uh, uh, graphic designers of our time, Muriel Cooper. And when I first met Muriel in, I think, 1987, she goes, Shiva, you're not an engineer, you're an artist. And I started doing, you know, I, so I, I still, still love doing art. So if you go to that website, most of the design work I do, I, if I weren't doing medicine or this, I'd probably be a full-time artist and a writer. But art to me is really a non-linear problem. It's not some you know, weird thing. Artists and scientists, uh, engineer, artists and engineers truly solve a problem. You're trying to figure something out in an abstract space and you're trying to solve a problem. But if you go to that website, you'll see sort of a portfolio of things I've done from you know, the invention of email, from the fact that I'm currently running for Senate, which is today, uh, the creation of a tool called Cytosolve, a powerful technology that came out of my work at MIT is a long journey to really use uh, computing, to use ideas of uh, chemistry, physical chemistry, um, and to put all that together to build a technology where we can actually model molecular reactions of disease on the computer and use that to test things long before we go kill animals, long before we hurt people. Um, the other piece is Systems Health, this institute I've created where I can teach anyone and we've had medical doctors go through it, nurses go through financial professions. But the idea is, uh, it's a different way of looking at your body as a system or anything. So we'll, we'll, that. But if you go onto that website, and you, there's a little about link there. And if you go to that about link, you, there's a little piece written on me. If you go down there, there's a little thing. I haven't looked at this in years, my CV. This is what they call your curriculum vichet. And this is what people typically, val, val, you know, this is what validates you in the academic world. And if you go there, you'll see I have four degrees. My PhD is in a field called biological engineering. It's a new department MIT created in 2003 because they recognize, okay, we have chemistry, which is a science, and we wanted and we created chemical engineering to use the laws of chemistry to create products. Well, now we are understanding biology, but where's the engineering aspect of biology? We're not talking about biomedical engineering. We're talking about biological engineering. So that's what I did my PhD in. And, and remember, I went back to do my PhD at the age of 40 after starting six companies, because I always loved medicine. So I wasn't just a nerd who went end to end. The typical model is you come in as an undergraduate, you do your four years, then you do your two years master's, that's six years, and then you go do your five years PhD, 11 years, you never go out into the real world. That wasn't my thing. If you look at my history, I came in, uh, to 81, uh, uh, 82 to MIT, graduated with my undergraduate in 86, then went to work. I was always working, by the way. I've been working in some manner, always collecting a paycheck since I was a 14-year-old kid. Always. So even when I was at MIT, I was always doing some consulting, some work, because I like to make my own money. By the time I think I was 19, I bought my own home. So I've always been working, always very entrepreneurial, always wanting to uh, take care of myself, never wanting to be a burden on anyone. Um, so 
I did my uh, undergraduate work in operating systems. I built one of the first operating systems for cardi cardiovascular systems for analyzing, uh, you know, ultrasonic machines, ultrasounds. But if you go back to my history, if you go down, it says industrial and entrepreneurial experience. But if you go back to the academic research experience, because we're talking about science, in 77, 1980, that was a research project. I built the first email system in the world. And to anyone um, who questions that, there is no controversy. The issue is why is there even a controversy? I converted the entire inner office mail system, all of it, which the nerds at the time in the military thought was impossible. And that's documented. I converted the entire inbox, outbox, folders, attachments, that entire integrated system into the electronic version in 50,000 lines of code in Fortran, which was not written for this, as a 14-year-old kid, wrote all the code myself, and I called that system email. And it was used by all these hundreds of secretaries at what is now known as Rutgers Medical School across three different net networks. And we, in fact, charged for it on a time-sharing system. I wrote the user interface. I wrote the code. I wrote the user's manual. I trained people, etc. But that was a research project. And that was done in a medical school. So you got to understand, I've been working in, in, in some aspect of medicine since geez, 1977. Okay? So how many years is that? That's almost, what year are we in? That's almost uh, 33, 43 years, okay? 43 years of my life. So the other project I did was analyzing sleep patterns to understand why babies were dying in their sleep. So uh, uh, all of us have sleep patterns. Adults have around five stages of sleep. Babies actually have six states of sleep. And what they were noticing was there's a possibility that when a baby transitions to different states, that's when its heart stops, you know, its breathing stops which is called an apnea, and could I build technologies to look at sleep patterns to predict that onset? And I, in fact, ended up doing a research paper going to Finland to present it as a teenager, as, as a young scientist. When I came to MIT, was very interested in doing medical research. Remember, I wanted to be a doctor like my grandmother, but I was always a little bit unsure because I saw the way that medicine treated the body. So if you go look on my uh, resume, 1981 and 1993, MIT had this extraordinary program for undergraduates. It was called UROP, Undergraduate Research Opportunities Program. And what was that? As an undergrad, you could get to work with like a Nobel Prize scientist. It was one of the things that the president of MIT, Paul Gray, who was a very cool guy. I had, uh, you know, debates with him, you know, um, I fought with him on when I was an activist, but Paul Gray at least had the vision to say, wow, let's take young people and connect them up with, you know, senior faculty. So one of the projects I did was trying to understand in medicine how deaf-blind people communicate. It's quite fascinating. If you've seen deaf-blind people, remember they're deaf, they can't hear, and they're blind. So how do they communicate? So they can't see your lips, right? They can't do lip reading, they can't hear you. So what do they do is um, Helen Keller was one of these people. She developed a technique where you literally take your hands and you put it on someone's face. And if I'm deaf blind, I learn how to listen with my hands. It's, quite, it's called Tadoma, T-A-D-O-M-A. And people never really understood how this was working. So I was an under, undergraduate. I got to work with a very interesting professor and a graduate student. And they had actually were trying to measure signals. What are these deaf blind people listening to? And it turns out that this is very interesting. The one square inch of the finger has more sensors than the eyes. Okay? Remember what they say, you can look but don't touch? Uh, 
There's a lot of truth to it. So the, 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 the tactile nature of the fingers are amazingly sensitive. So when these people are putting their hands, we found out they were measuring six signals. They were measuring the vibration of the whole skull. They were measuring, that's one signal, the upper and lower, the upper and lower lip, the, 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 the lip moves, uh, the upper lip moves up and down and, uh, uh, you know, uh, horizontally. So it's two additional signals, three, the lower lip, four movement, airflow, five, and they were also measuring the movement of the jaw, okay? Six, and then I, as I mentioned, the vibration. So the hand was able to measure seven different signals. So what we were trying to figure out is how were they able to measure words from this? So we literally used to bring people in. Uh, oh, and also they could measure the tongue position. That's the seventh one, I'm sorry. So it's quite incredible. So we actually put retainers on people's mouths. We were measuring airflow and we would have them repeat all different words in the English language. And we literally got signals for all these seven signals. So we were able to do what's called signal processing, match people's signals to what they were saying. So it's a very, you know, pretty cool, right? And I got to do this as a young kid. Um, then I went on to do, in, in another field in medicine, you know, we talk about embryos. We, I did some of the earliest research with an amazing researcher from, um, from Germany, and I got credit in the paper. It was pretty cool to get credit, where we were actually freezing embryos. It was a, quite an interesting project. Remember, MIT does really wacky things. The head of our lab uh, was into super cows, you know? And I didn't know, I, mean, I was an undergrad kid, wasn't really politically evolved in terms of all of those politics yet, but the idea was some Texan had funded MIT that could you take cow embryos, which were producing more milk, right? Now, look, retrospect was probably genetically engineered cows, but the idea was you would freeze these embryos fast. So we literally, literally on a microscope dish, we had cryogenic uh, systems where we would literally freeze the embryo and you could literally see the ice, ice coming in and covering it. Now, the interesting problem was that you don't want to freeze those embryos too fast or too slow because you could, you know, burst a cell. So that's an example of biological engineering, um, you know, and so on. I did many, many uh, projects like this. In fact, one of the guys I work with is sort of now sort of the grand godfather of like vaccines. He's a godfather of a guy who is putting the chips in, Bob Langer. I just found this out, and I worked with Bob in his lab when I was an undergraduate. In fact, in my graduate school where we were trying to create nanoparticles where you would put, you know, certain, um, you know, you could put certain uh, drugs in these nanoparticles and then instead of injecting something, you could, it was a much more invasive procedure. So my point, I ended up winning one of the research awards. That was a, as an under, one of the outstanding research awards. So I'm giving, and people can go look at this. So it's a huge long history from 1977 in the medical field, not just talking about it, but actually doing hands-on research. And that long history, and, and people can go look at it, go to vashiva.com and any of the very uh, stupid, ignorant, uh, deep state press should probably go there. And um, I think it's time that we go after these guys because most of these people know very little. They've never done math. They've never done engineering, never have put the hard work and never ask hard questions. But um, it's frankly, um, that's why we won against Gawker Media when they attacked me. When they said I didn't invent email, we filed a $35 million lawsuit. They, they were forced to pay me $750,000, removed their def def three defamatory articles, and we drove them you know, into bankruptcy. It was awesome. That's what we need to do to the fake news. We need to go viciously after them because they have no right to attack people actually work hard for a living because these people don't do anything. So that long journey 
you know, I mean, if you can go look at my resume, uh, I taught at MIT. I, I taught at MIT since 1982. I was a lecturer, a tutor, a lecturer again, uh, taught cl m m multiple classes. In fact, I taught one of the most most popular electives at MIT, which integrated data theory, narrative, uh, narrative storytelling, combined with uh, systems thinking and visualization. It was one of the most powerful courses where we take very complex systems and we would congeal it where students would do these amazing pieces of art to take a complex system and represent it with data and science. It's very cool. So I share this with you because that journey eventually led me in and out of MIT. I did four degrees, started seven different companies. To me, it wasn't just theoretical, made a lot of money, uh, grew many things. Cytosol right now is worth probably a couple billion dollars. It's one of the most innovative technology companies where we can model molecular pathways on the computer. We're helping a lot of natural product companies. We'd love to work with pharma companies, but they don't want to touch us because we're probably going to find all their stuff doesn't work. When I first started, we right when I created my first technology, our idea was, wow, we could help understand the toxicity of vaccines and help create them. But, you know, the DARPA grant, we didn't get it because I think people realize that we would actually find, you know, issues with them. But so I know that world. So I come from that world. No one can say I don't know it. I played with the big boys. I filed, you know, with the FDA. I've gotten a drug allowed by the FDA, a combination drug that we discovered with Cytosol without killing any animals. So I share that all with you to let you know that I've been in their world. I've won in their world. I'm cons I respected in that world. But I've also gone through the journey um, where I, you know, after I came to MIT, we created this technology, Cytosol went back to India and took two years off and I figured out why those Eastern systems of medicine work, right? And I came to the conclusion that the Eastern systems of medicine were not that different than engineering systems theory. So, 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 so anomaly, I think the key point is, uh, and if you want to go, one of the big things in science, by the way, everyone says, well, where have you published? Have you published in any major journals? Well, they have a problem there because I published in Nature Neuroscience, which is like the number one journal in the world. You get professorships for, for publishing and people go to my, um, to my history. In fact, that's not up there. We should update my resume, but I've published in Nature Neuroscience. I've published in Cell Biophysical Journal. Uh, I published in IEEE. So the point is, and, and by the way, to get a publication in, in the peer-reviewed world is a lot of work, man. You got to go back and forth. You have to submit. You have to play all these idiotic games, even though you have great work. In fact, when I published my paper in Cytosol, it took me three years to get it published because it was so radically different. So I, I've played with the big guys. I've gotten you know, a combination therapy allowed by the FDA. So I know that world. So that's why uh, these guys have a fundamental problem because when a guy like me exposes them and shows the ludicrousness of what they're doing, um, it's a big opportunity for us to really go all out against them because what it's actually happening and when they start attacking me, oh, he didn't invent email, well, fuck off. You know what? Not only did I invent email, but I, was a, I did it when I was a 14-year-old kid. I did it in Newark, New Jersey. And the reason I say fuck you to them is because that's the only answer I have because it's basically not only racist, right? It's... It's essentially a response of the deep state because I didn't do it at MIT. I did it before I came there because the theory is a guy like me is supposed to accept that, uh, you know, I was a darling of MIT. I was on the front page for inventing many things. But when I said that email was done before MIT, that throws a wrench into the narrative 
that all, all great innovations must come from their establishment, from big industry, big military, etc. And but getting back to what you said, when you really look at the history of science, the greatest science came from bottoms up. Michael Faraday was an electrical worker. He's the one who really was the foundations of Maxwell's equations. You know, he was a he was a you know hands-on guy. Maxwell got the credit. You know, he one of the laws is called Faraday's law, but Michael Faraday was really the genius behind it. You go look at where in the automatic windshield wiper that was done by a Michigan mechanic on the outskirts. MIT guys actually went to his place, looked at it, and created the MIT control systems department. RCA went to a young 14-year-old's lab called Philo Farnsworth, who had invented TV, stole it, started manufacturing it, and then tried to shut him down in the courts. Eventually, he won. 19 years later, he only had one year left to win, so they, they screwed him. In my case, it's a little more interesting because I did it in Newark. I did it as a 14-year-old kid. Before I came to MIT, didn't talk about it because I was brought up to be a good, humble Indian kid. It was only when my mom was dying did all that stuff go into the Smithsonian. And 33 years later, it was like a new skull was found in Africa and they had to attack that viciously. Because why? The facts are freaking black and white. People go on Wikipedia. Wikipedia, by the way, is state propaganda now. You can go destroy people on there. But fundamentally, the truth about the invention of email really leads you back to this fundamental point. It's, it's almost like a singular point is where does innovation in science come from? That's why we want, you know, the foundation of science. Where does it actually come from? And what you find is real innovation in science comes from everyday people wanting to solve a problem. Everyday people, like everyone listening, asking a fundamental, some question. Why does the apple fall, right? Um, why does this happen? And this thing, given the amazing brain, and by the way, all of us are pretty similar, you know, maybe slight changes, but it's amount of work you want to put into it and effort. But those fundamental questions, observation, leading to some type of experimentation, some type of assessment of your results, seeing if your observations match, this is the scientific method. And that scientific method can be done by anyone, anywhere, anytime. Just like the invention of email or invention of TV, innovation can occur anytime, anyplace, by anybody. That's the facts. What they have done is created big science, big academia, big innovation. They create innovation centers, Silicon Valley, MIT, you know, bring a lot of people together, venture capitalists. When the reality is innovation is more like a weed. It grows everywhere. They want to do to innovation what they do to genetically engineered foods, right? You know, corner the market on it, own it. And so that's what's fundamentally happened. The whole goal is massive profit and control motive, which is a few set of people get to be anointed to innovate. A few set of people get to be scientists and a few set of people are determining what is science and what is innovation. But when you go back to the fundamentals of the scientific method, what you find is something quite extraordinary that if you practice a scientific method, we can make amazing discoveries everyday people. I mean, Einstein did his work before he came to Princeton while he was a patent clerk. While he was at a full-time job, he was asking these questions, right, as a hobby. In fact, most innovation was hobbying. I wasn't inventing email to make a shitload of money. That's not what I was doing it for, right? I was like, wow, man, I'm a 14 year old. I get to work with these people, I get access. I was just so honored. It was the excitement of doing it. IBM and Hewlett Packard came through our labs. They probably saw everything, probably stole stuff, right? It didn't matter, we didn't care about that. Real innovators, real artists don't care about that. You're just doing it because you have this sincere love of it. It comes from within you. 
Now, that is very different than, well, I'm going to go make that product. I'm going to go get a venture capitalist and fund it. I'm going to do innovations. You know, it's not innovation. So if you really look at the last 50 years, what have we actually created of any great significance? What are the major problems we solved? Very little. Because we've centralized innovation. We've centralized science. Nothing major of major significance has really taken place. Okay, we discovered DNA. But that was 50 years ago, 6, 70 years ago. But there hasn't been any, it's not like we built starships to go to, you know, Alpha Centauri. We should have been doing that by now, right? It's not like we've understood, you know, phenomenologically foundations of, you know, um, energy or been able to do fusion, right? We should be have fusion now where we should bring together, you know, atoms from water, you know, heavy water, and we should be able to have the energy of the sun. There should be totally clean energy, but we haven't done that. And the reason is because science has become something that goes, it regresses to the mean, it regresses to average, it regresses to mediocrity. You get rid of crazy questions. You get rid of all the people who are innovators. Now a guy like me, they don't know what to do with because I can be in my suit, I can be good looking, I can articulate, I have all those resumes on all those degrees, but yet I can attack them with viciousness. And so that is dangerous to them because I know all their weaknesses and one of their weaknesses is they do not practice a scientific method. They don't practice it anymore. What they practice is something um, that has nothing to do with science. It's called scientific consensus. Because remember, starting in 1970, as I've mentioned, science basically ran to its path of total degeneration because a lot of money moved to political organizations like the National Institute of Health, which is what Fauci and Francis Collins are about. These people are politicians. They're administrators of massive conglomerates, right? Like they're sitting on a pile of shit, okay? And underneath that shit is all these guys, flies running around trying to get a little piece of something of what are called government grants. So it's like a bunch of parasites and out of that maybe a little bit of science gets done. But primarily, it's one massive pile of poop, okay? And Fauci and a few people sit on it. They control the lives of these academics. And the mentality is regress to the mean. Fall in line. Tenure was supposed to be something that got created at a point to, to really protect professors so they could go into academia and do wild shit without ever having to be attacked. It actually became the opposite. They got rid of all the really crazy guys. There's a guy here, wait, refer to David Noble. David Noble was one of these guys. David Noble was an amazing professor of history of science at MIT. He didn't get tenure. You know why? Because he wrote a very famous paper two weeks. He should have shut the hell up if he wanted to get tenure, but he wasn't. He was a man of great principle. He basically did the, wind, the windshield wiper story where he showed that MIT actually, professors actually stolen the stuff from a Michigan mechanic. Okay? He wrote that because he was into the origin of science and technology. It didn't come from MIT, it came from a guy who's a 40, you know, a year experienced mechanic who figured out control systems. Well, he writes that paper, he doesn't get tenure, he sues MIT. In the settlement, he said, I just want the entire deposition shared. Noam Chomsky fought on his behalf. My point is that the system does not like its hegemony to be disturbed, meaning it's mafia mentality. They control science. So that's what we've got to understand. So what we have today is scientific consensus. What does scientific consensus mean? It means it doesn't matter what the scientific method says. It matters what the broad set of lemmings the academics agree to. CO2 is a pollutant. The earth is going to end. The Arctic ice sheets are going to melt. 
Therefore, we need the Paris Accords, which will increase carbon tax on people. These people fall in line because you're looking at people's names we don't even know called trillionaires, and there are those people where people like Bill Gates and people like Zuckerberg actually report up to them. Those people see a much larger opportunity to tax every man, woman, and child with carbon tax. Now, the academics are basically peons in that, so they fall in line. A place like MIT gets 20 to $40 million for putting anything with climate science. And this is not conspiracy. This is where we have ended up science becoming. And it ended up when, in 1940, when the president of MIT left MIT and he started Raytheon, a defense company. And that's when public funding, our money, went through academic institutions and flowed to defense and the military industrial complex. By the way, Raytheon is a company that, you know, created the fiction, they invented email. So they could enter the cybersecurity market. They're the ones who paid off historians to attack me. So that's where you see, you see academia supporting industry to support the military industrial complex that all great science and innovation must come from death and war. So that leads us back to something very important about health and well-being. And what that leads us back to is understand that there's two ways we can understand the human body. One is as a system and one is as a bunch of parts. Now the understanding as parts can sometimes be variable, very rarely, where you get shot in the head or you get shot in the lungs. Oh my God, we got to go fix the lungs. Forget about everything else. So we got to put it, whatever, tourniquet, uh, cauterize it, etc. Oh my God, his arm got blown off. Forget about what's happening elsewhere. We got to just save his arms. So it's about the parts. That's called reductionist medicine. That's called crisis management medicine. That's what Western medicine originated from, putting a person back on. Now, if people, uh, one of the things I want to share with people is there's a paper that's out there. Hey, Michelle. Okay, this thing is a little bit falling. I've got Michelle here. Who's my, okay, I got it set up. Sorry. Um, there's a paper I wrote. If you guys want to find it, it's called the Control Systems Engineering Foundation. Of of uh, it's a, it's a paper that I wrote right after I came back from India. I spent two years in India, re-looking back at Indian and traditional medicine, saying, "What is it? They use all these words: vata, pitta, kapha, fire, earth, metal. What are they actually talking about?" And I had a big aha moment. And then when I got back, I wrote this paper in the International Journal of Systems of Systems Engineering. I didn't write it in a medical journal because the medical guys would never understand it. I didn't write it in an alternative journal because it wouldn't be respected. So I went to one of the best engineering journals. And what this paper really showed was it's called the Control Systems Engineering Foundation of Indian Medicine, the Rosetta Stone of Siddha and Ayurveda. Remember, the Rosetta Stone was a stone that Napoleon Army discovered in Egypt which really was the deciphering thing between Greek, uh, I mean hieroglyphics and um, hieroglyphics and Greek, right? It was basically this way that you could decipher hieroglyphics because no one, it was, it was basically like the dictionary. So what I had discovered was a dictionary that could translate Eastern systems of medicine to modern world using engineering systems theory. So this is a cool paper that I wrote. I don't write a lot of papers because I'm such a perfectionist if I do something. But most academics are paper mills. They just churn out crap. And then they get their friends to cite their crap. If you look at Fauci, he's got hundreds of citations, thousands. Well, that means he worked, he kissed a lot of ass. That's what that really means. No, seriously, he kissed a lot of ass, okay? Because in academia, you get rewarded for kissing ass. In current academia, you write a paper, you call up your friend, hey, please, please cite my paper. You know, it's like, please follow me. That's what it's like. 
and he follows you, not organically, but you call people up, they follow you, he follows you, and then they say, wow, Fauci's a great scientist. He's got all these people citing his work. Well, it's probably crap work because he spent more time doing that than it naturally coming up. So this paper is an interesting paper because, and I want to spend, uh, if it's okay with you, so what this paper was really about was, first of all, what I discussed in this paper was foundationally, what is the origin of Western medicine? And I said, it really comes from war. Then I talked about where is Western medicine today? Well, where Western medicine is today is that they're losing massive amounts of money because of failure of big pharma. And there's a very interesting graph, of if I can show people here, uh, if you're on YouTube, you can see it. But it's a very wonderful graph. You actually see this cool graph where you see a bar graph of the amount of investment they're putting more every year in trying to find new drugs. Because they're like scrambling, scrambling everywhere to try to find new drugs for different diseases. But the reality is every year they're finding less and less new drugs. Okay? Even the FDA is not allowing their drugs because of the amount of damage and side effects their drugs cause. So that's where Western medicine is now. They're not able to find new drugs and they came from wartime medicine. So let that just sink in a little bit. You have a system of medicine that comes from war, it's for crisis management, and it's losing a shitload of money, okay? Now, in that model, um, what I talked about in this paper, let's step back a little bit and look at what we know from systems biology. So people read through that paper, they can understand systems biology, which is my expertise. I'm a, I'm a world-renowned scientist in it. I get invited all over the world to talk about this. And what systems biology, which is a new field, tells us is that the body is actually a complex system. And from the Western perspective, it's genes and proteins, it's uh, molecular pathways. So when you look at the whole body, the ankle bone's connected to the foot bone, we shouldn't be looking at just as the organ. We should be looking at what happens to the, to the lungs, maybe related to what happens to the heart and the kidneys at the molecular level. So there's amazing molecular reactions going on and they're all interconnected. And so when systems biology came, people said, shoot, maybe the ancients in other countries actually had it right. Maybe we need to take a systems approach to understanding the body. Maybe we need, it's not just the genes and the proteins, we need to connect it all together. So, so in that world is when I came back to MIT. Michelle, can you help connect? Um, I got it. So that's when I came back to MIT and I created this very powerful technology, Cytosol, which helps us model molecular pathways. But when I went back to India, it's okay, it's working. It's got it, it's saying. Um, when I went back to India, I wanted to really decipher the Indian system of medicine. Now you're gonna learn in the next like 10 minutes, I'm gonna teach you systems theory, okay? So hold on, okay? So what is systems theory? So every system in the universe has, an, has really um, five elements, okay? And, and those five, and by the way, if you, uh, go to Shiva for Senate when you support our campaign Shiva for Senate.com. Uh, Let me just take a quick uh, thing here. Anomaly, if, if you, when you're doing this, if people go to Shiva for Senate, part of what I'm doing is I want to share systems theory. I want to teach people how everything is a system because if you can learn these fundamental principles, no one will be able to fool you. You can actually defend yourself. That's why I created it. I wanted to create a scientific toolkit. So you, whether you're a chiropractor, an acupuncturist, or even an MD who wants to go into the world of explore, you could defend yourself, not from the medical world of biology and cells, but from a different language, which was even more powerful. 
And that's what systems health is. So if you go to, um, everyone should know I'm running for US Senate. I'm running on a campaign called Truth, Freedom and Health. I'm running as a Republican, but I don't give a damn about the Republican Party. If anything, we want to hijack them. But you have to run on one of these, you have to ride a Hyundai or a Toyota or whatever it is, or a GM or a Ford. That's all they are. They don't give a damn about me and I don't give a damn about them. I care about people. But if you go there and if you uh, support the campaign, we have, there's a, uh, a book I gave, sort of a life's work, very easy to read. You can read it in one day called System and Revolution. You understand what are systems. You also understand what is a revolution. What is a revolution? And what I say is a revolution is a phase transition. So you learn from a systems perspective. Everyone says we need a revolution. Well, what is a revolution? And I, I teach it from a physics standpoint. And then I give you access to a tool called Your Body, Your System, so you can actually understand you know, these principles using your body. So what are those principles? So if you go to a fundamental understanding, what you find is everything in the universe is a system. So what are the fundamental principles of every system? Okay, every system in the universe there's two types of systems, open systems, what I call dumb systems, and intelligent systems. Intelligent, uh, dumb systems are a subset of an intelligent system, okay? But there's dumb systems, and then there's intelligent systems. So what is a, what is a intelligent system? Or let's start with a dumb system. A dumb system only has five components, okay? Input and output, those are the two. Something comes in and something comes out, okay? Some guy watches a TV ad which says, you know, take this drug and it's going to, I don't know, give you an erection. So he goes, take the, then he says, wow, I need an erection. I'm not whatever. And he believes in that ad. He gets an input and then he goes to the output, which is he goes, tells his doctor, I need that drug, right? Or an input, wow, amazing, beautiful picture of a Burger King, um, you know, uh, cheeseburger. Okay, he goes and buys it. This is called advertising. They want you to be input and output. So, what are, so those are the two elements. Remember I said there are five of dumb systems. The input is information and matter or energy are the input. Like I'm talking to you, this is information. Matter would be if you eat a piece of apple, right? That's a piece of matter or energy. I send electricity into a light bulb. That's the kinds of input. So the transport, the movement of information and matter and energy, transport is the third phenomenon. It's the movement of information, matter, and energy. So you can apply that to anything. You get on your keyboard, you input, you're moving atoms and bits through your computer. You eat something, it goes through your body and it digests. All right? This, the, uh, the, the fourth element is called conversion. It seems to be in the universe that things come in and things get converted in some way. Your CPU, central processing unit, takes one plus one, it converts it to two. You eat an apple, your digestive system, if it's working well, converts it, churns it up. You know, it's like a nuclear reactor, and then you get nutrients, you get storage, you get crap coming out, right? The waste material. The fifth element in any system is storage, which means some ability or structure. So store something or structure something. So input, output, transport, conversion, storage, okay? So you everyone just learned general systems theory, okay? You can apply that to anything. Consider your computer, your transport information, the CPU converts, your USB drive stores it, your body does the same thing. Everything in the universe does this. Now a dumb system is it just takes an input, gives an output, your toaster. You put a toast in, you press it in, heat gets, I mean electricity goes in, heat is a conversion element, you get a toast and energy stored in there, got it? 
Those are dumb systems. The establishment wants you to be a dumb system. They want to send you an input, which is, oh my God, coronavirus is going to kill everyone. And by the way, the, st the data is, by the way, what's, uh, what's horrible about this is, if you look at young kids under the age of 20, the number of kids that have died is so minuscule, okay, that it's, it can't even be measured. So scaring kids, you know, uh, who are not at all at risk is one of the biggest fear mongering that they've done. So they, the input here is fear and the output here is social isolation among human beings, fear and not trusting people. Fear, distrust, fear, distrust. Well, how do they do it? They transport it, right? You have to have movement of information, matter and energy, the media. Blasting people every day, that's transport of information. Hyping up stuff that has not have anything to do with the virus. You know, conversion of that, your mind takes this and it takes that information and this is what they want you to do. They want you to convert it into, oh my God, this is gonna kill me. Virus means death. And then they want you to store this memory in you. They want us to remember the economic shutdown. They want us to keep this in our brain. So when September, October comes, they're gonna put a gun to our head. Hey, you want another economic shutdown? You're gonna get mandated vaccines, all right? That's what is called a, a, a dumb system. Now in the next five minutes, what is an intelligent system? Which is what we wanna be. So what is intelligence? <laughs> intelligence requires four other elements. Remember, it, input, output, transport, conversion, storage. By the way, just to take a step back, transport, conversion, storage match one-to-one -one with Indian systems of medicine, which had a different way they said it, vatha, pitha, kapha, vatha, pitha, kapha. So when my grandmother looked at your face, she said, oh, Anomaly, you're a pitha guy, or Shiva, you're a vatha, kapha guy, or Michelle, you're vatha, pitha, kapha. What they were doing was they were characterizing the state of these three phenomenon in your body because everyone has different forces. Some people are very fast moving, fast talking, a lot of transport of energy, creative people, transport. Other people are sort of slow moving, very little more chill, right? They have a lot of storage, inertia. So they were characterizing people's nature. Well, that turns out to be general systems theory, transport, conversion, storage. You, A fighter plane is, is fast transport, a C-30 cargo plane is storage. You, you get what I'm saying? You can apply this to all systems. So what is an intelligent system? An intelligent system has four other phenomenon. And those phenomenon are, it has a goal, uh, which means we have, in, intelligence begins with saying, I wanna achieve something. I wanna become a healer. I wanna become a great plumber. I wanna become a great electrician. I wanna become a great artist. It's a goal. And what ends up happening is, in order to achieve that goal, an intelligent being will look at where is it actually today? Where am I today? I want, take a simple case. I'm 300 pounds, I wanna get down to 200. So you have a goal. Now an intelli intelligence emerges when you take control of your life. So everyone needs to understand this. Dumb systems are controlled by other people. Input, output. Intelligent systems say, you know what? I am gonna determine my destiny. And destiny begins with you have a vision of where you wanna go. The thermostat says, I want you set it to be 78 degrees and the thermostat goes to work. So what does it do? And what can you do? You wanna achieve a certain weight, you're 300 to 200. You, you have to first of all observe where you're actually at. That requires a sensor, 
That's a second element of intelligent systems. A sensor could be a weight machine. You stand out and you go, wow, I'm 300 pounds. Okay, so now you say I'm 300 pounds and I want to, you know, uh, and I want to get to 200, the differential is 100 pounds. So the, f the third aspect of an intelligent system is called a controller. Something that says, what am I going to do to change the inputs to my own system? Someone else isn't going to tell me. McDonald's ain't going to tell me. What am I going to do? So the controller says, I want to get to 200. I'm at 300. I'm going to now make changes to my life, to my system, inputs. Well, you know what? I'm going to start perhaps eating certain foods that spice up and support my digestion. Maybe I should include some turmeric and cardamom and, and maybe I should take a little bit of apple cider vinegar. You know, or maybe I should eat more fats. You know, maybe I should eat less sugars. Those are new inputs. Maybe I should take a 20-minute walk. So you're derived, putting those inputs into your system which are transported in. Your body converts those inputs and maybe you start to burn some fat. You remove storage. And the output is you go from 300 to 250. You go, wow, this is cool. I'm doing well. Now you, the fourth element of it every intelligence system has to face is called disturbances, okay? Things that come in your way. Hey, you got a bunch of friends. Hey, sh hey, Anomaly, stop doing that. Let's go party, man. Let's go get drunk. Let's go, you got, let's go eat Domino's pizza. Those are disturbances. Now an intelligence system knows how to modulate those disturbances and keep itself on track. So you may take a different input. You can say, look, maybe I should get different friends, right? Maybe I should tell my friends like, hey, support me. And as you do this process, you achieve your goal. But it's a constant process of changing the inputs. You may go off sometimes, but you have an idea of your goal. And this is basic control system theory. This is a foundations anomaly of every, and this is called systems health. So what I realized was that when you look at the Eastern systems of medicine, they had a language which matched one-to-one -one with these nine terms, or you know the, the five terms of dumb systems, the four terms of intelligence. So it, intelligence systems really nine uh, language, and that matches one-to-one -one with the same phenomenon that runs an airplane, runs a computer, everything. So I just taught you systems health, okay? And the reason I shared this with you is that once you understand this, you can understand every system in the universe. And I've trained MDs on it, so it's not looking at the, so one way to look at the body's oh, organs, tissues, molecules, which I know how to do. The other way to look at the body's, wait a minute, forget that language, because that's still looking at parts. Suppose we look at the whole thing in a very different way. And that's called system self. So that resulted if people, um, you know, if, if people get interested, again, everything I've done is in a very practical way. If people, there's a tool that I created call your body your system your body your system and your body your system is after I by the way um, if uh, people go to systems health I think I mentioned that right where they can actually learn this on their own but if you want to start right now you can go to your if anyone's watching this from overseas anywhere you can go directly to your body your system if you're in the United States if you go to our website and support Shiva for Center I give this to you but your body your system is a software tool I created and it's really nice. You answer a set of questions. It figures out your body's goal. The interesting thing with your body, it already knows where it wants to go. And then you can figure out where your body is off. If you've been eating crap, if you've been not sleeping well, it tells you that deviation. So the goal is you're off. Your goal is to come back to who you are. And that can be done with different inputs. What are those inputs? Foods, exercise, sleep, activities. And we've literally taken all of those foods and things and categorize them anomaly. Some foods increase transport. 
Other foods decrease transport. Some foods increase conversion, like spices. Other foods decrease it. Some foods increase storage. Other foods. So now we give you three levers transport, conversion, storage. And you can figure out, in a very simplified engineering systems approach, how to, just like an airplane, guiding you to your direction, which is back to you. So I have yeah. a question, yeah. So all that stuff, I, I love it, I appreciate it, and I'm sure everyone who's watching does. How come our medicine, Western medicine, United States, and what's going on now with the whole coronavirus situation, how come they don't teach us that stuff? You know, you talk about immune system, foods that are good for you, you look at it as a systems approach, this is gonna change me in this way. They seem to not tell us at all about that. They said, you know, don't wear a mask, do wear a mask. They flip-flop every other week when it comes to that type of stuff. And then you see these experts who, damn anybody who questions uh, them. And you just said, you know, scientific uh, method is a real science thing. Scientific consensus is a popularity contest, and that's not how science works. It's not about 100 people disagree with Albert Einstein or, you know, the Wright brothers. It's the Wright brothers or, say, Einstein came up with something, and that's a, that's a special thing. It's not a popularity contest in science. So why are they doing this to us, or why are they telling us that science is a popularity contest, and why aren't they teaching us this uh, these methods that actually seem like it's not a one-size-fits-all approach? It's more like understand your body, who you are, what's going on, and, and how does that relate to, like, your opinion on the coronavirus um, method that they're telling us is good for our health. So Anomaly, you're, Anomaly basically asked, you're asking a very fundamental question, why? Why is it that what I just shared with you, by the way, it took me about 30, 40 years to decipher and learn, and my goal is to make it accessible to all people. The way we win is to apply science. What I just told you is not only science, it's engineering. So first of all, scientists can bullshit people, engineers can't. You know, I'm a biological engineer, I'm an electrical engineer, I'm a mechanical engineer, I'm an engineer of scientific visualization, okay? So what is engineering? Engineering means you have to take the principles of what you think is science, which is always, you're always probing it, it's always a law or a theory, and you have to apply it. So you could understand Bernoulli's principle, which means when, um, when air comes, you get lift under a foil, airfoil, but until you build an airplane, it's not real. It's just like theory. So the engineer does something far more interesting than the scientist. The engineer has to, where the rubber meets the road. So I trust engineers more than I do scientists. You know, people actually build something, the plumber, the electrician, people actually have to solve problems. Because when you have to solve something, you have to actually practice the principles of science. And if those principles can't work, that means the science is bullshit, okay? So engineers, you can't build a piece of software and say, well, you can't talk your way through it. What do scientists do? They gather data and they fit a bunch of lines to a curve. It's more statistics. So scientists can bullshit. Engineers can't. Because you, build, you can talk your way out of, you can talk and the airplane falls out of the sky. It doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what you thought you did or you can talk all sorts of things. You build a piece of software and no one buys it. It means something's wrong. Your stuff is not the rubber is not meeting the road, or the rubber, you know, is not touching the road, or whatever that analogy is. The point is that engineers have to make something. This is why working people already know a lot of this stuff is bullshit. Okay, they don't. They may not go to MIT and blah blah blah, but they know. What are you talking about? This stuff can't wipe out people. That's why when we were out collecting signatures to get on the campaign, we go to working class neighborhoods. People aren't wearing masks and shit. They just come out and sign. Okay, the people who are all scared are the ignorant educated elites. 
And that you see this big differential because what's fundamentally happened is that this comes down to something very fundamental. It's called, uh, it's called money, okay? It's called power. Let me just start this again. Um, what we have is power, profit, and control really versus, um, uh, it, it really versus uh, truth, freedom, and health. So why does this occur? It really goes back to something, why did we have kings? Why did we have you know, warlords who oppressed billions, of, you know, hundreds of millions of people kept in slavery? Why did that occur? Why did we, ha why did we as people allow a king who said he had a direct connection to God, who was few of them, to control millions of other people. How did that happen? How did that happen? How did we let a, a guy bamboozle all of us to say, I have a direct connection to God. I get to put a crown on my head. I get to wear these robes and tell you, my subjects, what to do. How did that ever happen? How did that happen? And it happened because of a massive, massive manipulation, not by the king, but by someone above him. In the Indian caste system, you had what was called the priesthood, right? The Brahmanical folks on the top, the scribes who said they were the magicians, they had access to the gods. And they're the ones who advised the king, who controlled the army, who, told, who controlled the business folks, who, and then the rest of us were slaves at the bottom. So it has been the people who manipulate our psychology, who manipulate our 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 uh, brainwash us on behalf of control of massive amounts of wealth and power. But what's interesting about the academic priesthood is they're worse than, in some ways they're more dangerous than the Wall Street guys. They don't care about money. They do care about money. Like some academic at Harvard, he gets money he's pretty well taken care of. But he, he's not about being a billionaire. You know what he wants? He wants control. Control is the opposite of love. It's not hate. They want to control, uh, it, it's a sickness. It's a sociopathic sickness. It's actually a sickness, I believe. So this occurs because there are people who want to have incredible amount of control, power and profit. That's where you put a guy like Bill Gates. Because he is convinced he knows better than you or I. It's a megalomania, it's a sickness. It's actually, I think, a mental sickness. And, and because no one challenges these bullies, no one is willing to take them down because they do incantations. Like you just said when you started this conversation, you're not a scientist. Well, this, this goes against common sense. I mean, not one kid, you know, when you look at the cases, the number of kids that have died below the age of 20 is near zero. Yet we're scaring ch children. This is the actual facts. If you look at some place like Florida, right? 1,900 cases under the age of 25 of 25, 20 million people. 19, not one kid has died. Not one death. Of the people under the, uh, over the age of 75, 2,500 cases and 360 deaths. You're looking still at minuscule numbers, but you're able to take data and you're able to pummel people with fake science, in this case, big pharma, and a massive ad campaign of input. So what I want people to do is step back and what you'll see in this current situation, it's incredible amount of power. And that power is a transport of information, massive amounts of propaganda, over and over and over again, with incredible amounts of ignorance. That's what's being done.
So from, uh, you know, you li- listen to the TV or the experts or even Donald Trump, to be honest, and they say their science is social distancing for a few months, maybe a year, who knows, is the system's approach. They don't use that terminology, but that's their system to stop the coronavirus or stop the spread or stop the hospital over, uh, you know, over um, uh, whelming of the hospitals. What is your systems approach? What do you think of that as a scientist and a systems approach guy? What's right or wrong about that system of you know destroying the economy, shutting down, and telling us that this is good for our health and it's going to save hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of lives? What do you think about that from well, a science well, system? Let, let's look at their result. Actually, let's look at their. So, the, the, I believe the proof's in the pudding, right? Let's look at their approach to medicine. Okay. Not their approach to public health. Let's just look at it. What's been their actual result? Well, they say they saved millions of lives. That's what Trump says. Yeah. That's what, you know, millions of people would have died if they didn't do this. That's right. What they so, so let's really talk about that, okay? That's the theory. They have no yeah. evidence to back that up. Zero evidence. They basically use it by saying they did something that therefore it did this. Well, let's look at this. This Eventually, the New York Times just put this out. I don't know if you can see this. It says sales in U.S. stores, okay? Front page. I don't know if you can see this anomaly. You see this yeah. there? Sales at U.S. store hit catastrophic depth. Yeah. Depths. So you had sales at U.S. stores, and the bar chart goes way down, okay? It's, it's based massive, massive economic destruction. So let's just talk about we save millions of lives. First of all, you have no freaking proof for that. That's, that's fake science. That's fake science. You see, this is an incantation. This is a magician saying, I saved all your lives. You don't have any proof. You're making this shit up. It's bullshit, okay? What you did do is the following, and this is fact. You destroy, how many, I think, let's look at the numbers. I think right now, this is fact. And let's talk about how many people's lives you destroyed. You basically have 22 million Americans out of work in a month, okay? 22 million Americans. Another 5.2 million new unemployment claims that was this month. Last month, we had 6.6 million, okay, the last two weeks. So you basically put in 20 million people, which is about, what, 15, 16% of the, uh, uh, 10, 10%? Well, I don't know what the workforce, so probably 20% of the workforce, people out of work, probably more. So don't you think that when you look at from a systems perspective, it's not just health in this very pecuniary way. What you're claiming, we're saving people's lives. Well, let's talk about the economic health. That wasn't included in this equation. And what about social isolation? All the people's lives that have been ruined and all the people who now today feel so distrustful. All the psychological damage that's been done. The economic damage that's been done. This is quite incredible what's taken place. So they have no data to prove, prove, prove we've saved millions of lives. No data. Just Anthony Fauci saying it. Doesn't make it true. The reality we know is we've destroyed the economy, which has implications to people's health. Well, one of the things we've done, which I can scientifically validate, and anyone can go prove this, is that when you did social isolation for all this time, you actually attacked, you destroyed people's health, you lowered their immune system, you lowered, you increase inflammatory response. Many, many people are depressed. I just have, a, I, I've shared this, a very close friend of mine, his wife, 40 years ago, she had a depression issue. Super healthy. 
Well, after this, she went back, relapsed into depression after 40 years. That's just one data point I'm talking about. And I've heard about these over and over and over again. Where does he make this data up? It's total bullshit. He's making it up. And I think the most so, obvious part to me was uh, they're assuming it came in January, and the more you learn about it, you're starting to hear reports even from intelligence communities that they were warning people in November, December, uh, doctors and nurses have been telling me anomaly I've seen these symptoms uh, you know half a year ago six months ago we just didn't have a test for it until the first person in Wuhan China tested for it they didn't know who had it you know so it could have been here for months their whole social distancing uh, theory is based off of it came at this part we're gonna stop it before it spreads it doesn't uh, consider is it gonna come back next year is it gonna come back in the fall can you even stop it? Is it going to be, if it's more contagious than the flu, is it going to spread anyway? Is it going to spread internally in the right. house? And the biggest obvious one was if it came last year and it got four months ahead of what you thought it did or three months ahead, how, how are you going to hide from something this contagious that has already had three months to spread? So that's just me thinking, you know, outside the box, they don't have an answer for it. They got to put fake fa Facebook checkers on me, uh, you know, tell me to listen to the professionals. But you know, I, I heard John Coleman, the meteorologist who founded the Weather Channel, say it on CNN years ago. He said, science isn't a consensus. It's not a popularity contest or a vote. That's never been how science works. And they've uh, thrown out the scientific method for the popularity contest. And I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, the effect it's had on people is real. The social distancing, the not getting the sun, the vitamins, all that stuff. And then they go off of this idea that they saved millions of lives because Fauci, Burks, and now Donald Trump thinks he's a hero for stopping it early, you know, with the, the Wuhan flights. But, uh, you know, where are they getting this proof from? Where Where is this data coming from? Uh, are people just going to believe this? Are we going to move on and everyone's going to think millions of people would have died? You know, that's those, well, those are Well, let's actually, I mean, we should dissect those numbers. Look, this, here's the data that was done in the research of the 7,000 infections across China, of the 7,000 infections, okay? That means... If you look at 7,000 people getting infected, they went and looked at those infections. How did they get infected? 80% of those infections were within people staying indoors with families or in public transport. 8% involved with strangers um, and shopping and entertainment only accounted for seven. That means we could have all gone back to work, we get infected, and more importantly, the deadliness of this virus was predominantly among elderly people, very old people, and immunocompromised people, which is, by the way, what most viruses, you know, most reactions of, or, or forget the viruses of compromised immune systems. So this entire thing, as I still maintain, when I put out my tweet on March 23rd, will go down in history when all the stuff as one of the biggest fear-mongering hoaxes, which was created to destroy economies, it was architected. And it was architected, it was architected, it was architected. And I, I can elucidate on that. And second, secondarily, it was done to suppress dissent. Shut the hell up. That's what we've created. Your neighbors will tell you to shut the hell up now. They've created a culture of shut the hell up. You don't know anything. Listen to the experts. Giving power back to others. And third is to get ready to impose mandated vaccines. Mandated medicine. That's the three-part goal here. That's what's going on all based on fake science. Fake science of the immune system, that the immune system is some weakened system, all based on the fact that the true reality of disease or dysfunction is when that weakened immune system, which is again elderly people, 
which is again, people are immunocompromised, which is people are obese or overweight or smokers. And all the data shows that. That's what the data shows. Let's put up all the COVID-19 people who die of COVID. They didn't die of COVID-19, you nut job. They didn't, it's a freaking lie. This whole thing is such a disgusting lie. They died not because of that. They died because they had a weakened immune system. They were on their path to death's door already. If it wasn't this, it would have been something else. What you should have done is, if you truly cared, give them IV vitamin C in critical care. Put them on high dosage A and D, but you don't care about them. You know, what you wanted was you wanted a statistic. One of our friends who is a smoker for 30 years, you know, always sick. He used to go in, when he got pneumonia, he used to get intubated. Well, he just died because he had COVID-19. He didn't die of COVID-19, give me a break. He died because he had a compromised immune system because he lived a very unhealthy lifestyle. And you don't want to talk about that because your entire big ag, big pharma model wants overweight people. You want sick people. And now you dare blame this and you create this fictitious narrative and you do all this bullshit? Come on, we're not stupid. And I'm not gonna let him get away with it. It's total nonsense. The truth is, compromise immune systems. And to your point, this thing was probably here six months, seven months, eight months ago. And moreover, the coronavirus is one of the most common viruses. All of us have a little piece of it. I bet you everyone will test positive with their PCR test because a PCR polymerase chase, chain reaction test is not a quantitative test, it's a qualitative test. It's a, it's a qualitative test. Massive number of false positives. They don't talk about that because the Cuomo, whether it be Cuomo or the idiot on CNN or even Sanjay Gupta, he doesn't know anything about the immune system. He's an MD. He knows jack shit about the immune system. He never studied it. He probably took one course in it and you know runs around, nice guy, but he doesn't know anything about the immune system. I do know about the immune system. What I can tell you unequivocally, it's not the virus that comes and attacks you. It's your own compromised immune system that attacks yourself. So the issue is how do you boost the immune system? And all of these people, if you look at statistic after statistic after statistic, it's people with immunocompromised systems. That was the vast, vast 90 plus majority of people. So the, the facts are so obvious. I called it, you know, the facts are black and white, but in order to overcome black and white facts that the earth goes around the sun, you have to keep telling people, we know better. This has been going on for a long time. No, 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 the sun goes around the earth. We're gonna vilify you. No, 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 email was created over here. It's that black and white. Wait a minute, I, I wrote all the code, I have the, I have the copyright, I have it. Oh, that doesn't matter. And in this case, it's the same thing. It's this constant thing. CO2 is not a pollutant. It's not a pollutant. You know what's a pollutant? Lead, sulfur dioxide that the Paris Accords allows China to double their pollution. We live in such a world of filthy lies brought to you by the academic establishment, brought to you by the interests of big pharma, brought to you by the interests of the deep state, brought to you by scumbag foundation owners like Bill Gates, like Hillary Clinton, like Chan Zuckerberg. By the way, all those three people have an interest in vaccines. The Chan Zuckerberg Foundation, I think a billion dollars into their bio lab. It's a for-profit and then they're, they're all making money off vaccines. Why? Just look at it from a very simple way. You start a business. Well, wouldn't the, what is the ultimate business anomaly? The ultimate business in the world is that you have a product that everyone in the world has to buy. If you could sell air and everyone had to buy air, that would be the most amazing business, right? Now imagine you have a business model of 7.2 billion people 
And everyone, if, if everyone gets this, we will have a revolution tomorrow and all this bullshit will end. Is that imagine getting 7.2 billion people being forced, forced to get injected with a vaccine under the fear that we're all going to die of some infectious disease. Just think about that. So this isn't about selling Lipitor set of people or this particular uh, uh, thing to the diabetics or this thing to people get Alzheimer's. We're talking about a medicine that everyone must buy. Not only everyone must, and the way they're going to do it, must means you can't travel. You can't get your driver's license. You can't travel anywhere. This is what this is about. This is the biggest marketing uh, uh, phenomenon taking place. And what they did was, look, I used to, I, I built software. How do we build software? You do alpha, beta, and gold releases. Everyone should understand this, alpha, beta, and gold. First, you do alpha testing, which means you find a small group of people. Hey, here's my product. What do you think? Is it going to work? Then you do beta testing, and then you do gold. Alpha testing was event 201. We have this new product idea. We're going to scam the shit out of everyone. That viruses kill you. We're going to fear monger everyone. We're going to run movies on Netflix called Pandemic. Right? And then using that, we're going to see how people react. That was event 201. Now we're going to do beta testing with that model. We're going to put this out there. And by the way, the people that run this, their business model is the Chinese Communist Party reports to them, Bill Gates, Hillary Clinton served them, the WHO, CDC. It's massive amount of money that we have no idea about. It's a trillion dollar industry that's failing. Big pharma. So what do they do? They call an idiot like Bill Gates in who talks a good game right or convinces people and what they do is tell him to create an organization called Gavi right a vaccine alliance with his friend you know Hillary Clinton Clinton Global Initiative and them together and this organization is back-ended by all the major pharma companies who all are gonna take pieces of the slice of the pie of our bloodstream the old model was kings would take over countries after they had a war, okay, you take this piece, I'll take this piece. The new war is our bodies. And they're splitting it up into little things. Okay, Merck, you get to own HPV. XYZ Pharma Company, you get to own their, their liver, you know, hepatitis B. And the goal is to mandate everyone on vaccines and medicines from top down. And you know what? The gun to our head is we're going to F up your economy if you don't do this. So come next year, which will be the gold release of this. The gold release will be, hey, you don't want the economy to crash again, do you? If you do, if you don't, we're going to crash it. And, you're, and, and in order to avoid that, you're all going to go down mandated vaccines. That's, this is a, it's just pure business. It's a set of warlords imposing their will through amazing marketing. And if you actually go study who McKinsey is, the McKinsey Corporation, one of the most evil consulting companies on the planet, that's who Bill Gates says engaged to do this. It's all mapped out. Look, I used to work with these guys. These guys are very, very bright. They have beautiful spreadsheets. Everything is planned. This is, this is, if people think this wasn't orchestrated, you have to realize that's the beginning of slavery. Follow your gut instincts. Follow your common sense. You don't even have to listen to me. How, there's like, no one is, 10,000 people in New York, I'm sorry. Those people who are dying, predominantly blacks, by the way, who are on death's row given the way that there's no infrastructure in inner cities, people eat crap, people are high diabetes, and now you take them into a... By the way, we're in the flu season still. Let's not forget that, okay? 
And the, the decline in the flu season data, actually interesting enough, matches the increase in the COVID. So we're cannibalizing these people, recategorizing them, and everyone knows the books are being cooked because, because more ventilator sales for the ventilator companies, more, you know, you get grants to the hospitals. Cuomo gets grants for the most COVID-19 patients. So this is purely follow the money. And, and it's back-ended by fake science. It's backended by fake science. You know that in a, you know, you could really see, they could go into the inner city with a billion dollars and give them healthier food and better lifestyles so they could live longer, but it's not really about health. You know, there's not as much money in preventative stuff. And, you know, you watch a Zoloft commercial, but they don't say before every commercial, you know, maybe you should get outside, find new friends, get exercise, try everything you can before you try this, you know, but it's Coca-Cola, McDonald's, you know, Zoloft, lawyer to sue the last pill that now they realized is uh, screwed up, so they're losing money. And they keep that cycle going. And with the, the mandatory vaccines, that's the, the real obvious agenda. You see Gavin Newsom, most Democratic senators are saying, Bill Gates as well, or maybe governors rather, we're not getting back to normal, maybe ever, till everybody gets the vaccine. And even if you look at vaccines, the flu vaccine doesn't cure the flu. The flu has not been eradicated, nearly the opposite. We're having record high flu seasons killing 80,000 people two, two winters and, and ago and, and uh, they're going to try to do baseball games uh, you know uh, flights they're going to try to turn it into a communist Chinese system I truly believe you can't get on the flight you can't go to the baseball game without either a test they're going to do the test certificate first I think and then the, eventually the vaccine certificate and that's going to be a real boiling point I want to hear what you have to say and also I want to say with all this going on I see it all happening a lot of people do are you optimistic and how do we win? That's what people ask. Yeah, me yeah. so let's talk about how we're going to win. Look, I'm very optimistic. And the reason I'm optimistic is because I see what's going on, okay? Uh, when I did that immune system video, when I did that, things just went viral, man. Because why did they go viral? Because everyday common working people, this is why this is important to understand. People who work with their hands, people who actually use their brains to make something, we all live in the nuts and bolts of reality. Something doesn't add up. When I started doing those videos, Anomaly, you saw how viral they've gone. I mean, they've gone crazy, man, all over the world. We get calls from Fiji, you know, Poland, Italy, I mean, New Zealand, all over the world. Why? Because people are realizing they're being screwed with. They can't figure out what it is, but it doesn't make sense. You know what's great about, you know, I have two dogs here, and I learn a lot from my dogs. You know, they look at people, they learn within seven seconds, right? And the more you advance in life, you, you learn to trust your instincts more and more and more. Something doesn't smell right. Now, the people who know something doesn't smell right, I keep saying this are people who are salt of the earth who already work with their hands, have a connection to the earth, right? So everyone's got to understand that. There's, there's something there that's important. That's why it's still good we have popular democracy, okay? We still have bottoms up, and we can never allow that to be taken away. So that's a very, very good thing. Now, when I started doing these videos and sharing this, it's me as a working class kid who came from New Jersey, as a untouchable from India, who I know where my roots are and who I'm gonna fight for. I don't care about these people. I just happen to be very fortunate that I learned everything from them. But so I, the incredible hope I have is the fact what I've just seen over the last three weeks, the fact that you and I are having this conversation, the fact what there's 800 people live on Instagram, there's 2,200 people there, you know, I do a video, it gets, you know, globally, about a million views across all medium. That means people are saying, wait a minute, 
this guy is teaching me stuff that I already knew, but he's creating knowledge that I can share with other people so we can win. And the way we're gonna win is by recognizing that we should not give one freaking inch to, free, uh, to censorship and attack on freedom. Not one freaking inch. Not one inch. Uncompromising. And that's gonna come with one of the most important ingredients, courage. Because courage is something, as I mentioned earlier, they can never figure out in their data. They don't have a algorithm that can predict courage. It doesn't fit in. It's called a confounding variable. And so human history has always changed with that singular element called courage. Let Bill Gates come in front of us, all of us, and talk his crap. Okay, let's let him try to he won't. Because you see his Instagram, he's getting ratioed like a thousand to one. Literally his Instagram's filled with tens of thousands of comments. Everybody's onto it. Everybody's upset. Exactly. You go on your Instagram, everybody's agreeing. Maybe you have a few people mad. The the people are speaking. The uh, people, you know, in now, uh, Michigan, now, they had a big protest. So go so ahead. the thing that we gotta understand, the way so historically when you look at movements, it's easy to well after a while I pointed out the establishment. Gates, Fauci, that's easy. We will lose I'll tell you how we're gonna lose. We're going to lose if we follow the not-so-obvious establishment. And this is what I really need people to get. It's going to be hard for people to appreciate this. But the sooner we get this, so courage and understanding the not-so-obvious establishment. Historically, the establishment like Bill Gates and those in power are really freaking clever. You know what they do? They create the not-so-obvious establishment. People literally talk the words. Oh yeah, we hate Gates. Yeah, Gates is a bad guy. Bobby Kennedy. I'm talking about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is part of the not-so-obvious establishment. And I figured him out. You know how I figured him out? Because he's been involved in this anti-vax movement for 17 years and he's done shit to win anything. When I got involved this, a street kid, you know, growing up in New Jersey with all my chops, I said, what the hell's going on in this movement? I said, something's fucked up here. And what was fucked up was the following, that they are begging to legislators, oh, please give our vaccine mandates, begging for crumbs, negotiating in back rooms with Democrats and Republicans. That's not how you win. I said, screw that. I said, let's go on the ground and have a militant movement in New Jersey. By the time I've, and that's how we won in New Jersey. Him and this guy, Dull Bugtree, who talks like he's against vaccines, he runs his little Botox show with all beautiful lighting. And these are the people we got to, I'm telling you, these are the not so obvious establishment. They talk a good game. He wants to have a little Emmy. Bobby Kennedy lives in Malibu, talks his shit. But you know why I know he talks his shit? Who did he endorse three times? Hillary Clinton. Mm. Hillary Clinton. Everyone should get this. He's going to now, the establishment is going to pr try to promote him as the medical freedom guy. Watch my words. And that's why I'm going to expose him because he's a not so obvious establishment. And if we don't, because it's easy to attack Gates. Why has he not said one word against Hillary Clinton, who is the flip side of Gates? Doppelganger twin. Clinton Global Initiative, vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. They got 100 million from the Gates Foundation. They took money from Monsanto. He endorsed her. Anomaly? Not once in 2000, then in 2008, and then in 2016. Mm, I've, I've heard you've been saying that. I have a question. I know we both know Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth same thing. Warren, not so obvious establishment. Homies. What do you think about Donald Trump? We both feel the same way and have supported him because he's well, really disrupted. Well, but do you notice he really thinks millions of people would have died? And he's kind of he's on that narrative because he's the hero. 
he kind of I think is catching on to what what they're doing, but at the same time, it seems like he's buying into it quite a bit. With this. well, look, think about so let's talk about phenomenon. Okay, Donald Trump for that moment in history, I've always felt like I don't care what the hell Trump does, he was a disruptor where he attacked both parties, the establishment. And he made it possible for me to come here and talk to you guys, which means I decided, okay? However, we have to put all of this in context. I don't know Donald Trump. I've never met him. I don't know his family history. I don't really know him on a one-on-one -on -one level. You know, the, he was an anti-establishment force for whatever reason at that point in history. Now, what has happened to him today, we don't know. We can only judge him by his actions. But if he's saying and he's believing that that we would we would have saved millions of lives, that's not true. It is, it's not absolutely not true. What I can well, he, he's trying to say because uh, he shut it down early. You know, the Democrats are calling him racist and xenophobic. So I think they got him in the sense of he's saying I saved millions of lives because if I didn't shut it down. Well, where I understand why he's trying to campaign and say, listen, these, they're phonies. I'm the real deal, which is true in a sense. But I'm like, wait, do you really believe that? Because then it becomes a sort of thing. Even his three-step phase to reopen the economy, I hear people say. Well, I don't well let, let, let me tell you, I, I have a little bit of inside visibility on this about. A month ago, before I started really putting out all my videos, I got a call from someone very close in the White House, a very senior economist. Um, I can't tell his name because it was a confidant. And he said, look, Shiva, he called me up. I don't know this guy, an email, and I talked to him and I said, what's up? I go, and he shared with me what's going on. He said, look, he goes, I'm an economist. And what I see going on, he goes, we're headed for a grand depression. And he goes, we as economists are being asked to backfill economic policy with with a failed health policy. This was when we were doing the shutdown. It was just starting with Fauci. And I go, look, Fauci's completely full of shit. It's fake science. And he goes, Shiva, I can't say that to the president. Please do your videos. This was a senior level guy, one level before Munchen, telling me that I should keep doing my videos. That's why I did those videos. Now, what he shared was that when Trump makes a decision, he doesn't like to be told he's making a mistake, okay? But that's why I started doing these educational videos. I realized at a certain point, it's not about Trump. It's about educating people bottoms up. Now, if Trump decides to listen to that, great. If he doesn't, it doesn't matter. I still have to do my mission as a scientist, as an engineer, as, as a person who, who likes to fight and win, okay? Against the forces of people who lie. So that's why I'm on that path. And you can see the effect it's had on. So whether Trump wants to do that or not, it doesn't freaking matter. What matters Absolutely. is what we do, okay? Uh, we can't, I can't control him. He didn't, you know, at the end of the day, you, you know, I don't know what, you know, we, I can't control this guy. I don't know him. What I do know is I can control me. I can come here in the morning. I can do three or four videos. I can educate people. I can teach people molecular systems. I can control that. And everyone <clears throat> listening can control, you know what? Let's go to Shiva for Senate. Let's get this guy in the ballot. Not to win a stupid freaking stupid Senate election. That's irrelevant. What's relevant is, hey, a guy like that, we can have pounding away at the establishment for six freaking years if we get there, okay? Let's get him on the ballot. So if you go to my website, number one thing is, let's get this guy in the ballot. Dr. Shiva on the ballot, we need to get you know, another 5,000 signatures to get on the ballot. They won't even go, let us go on the grocery stores and collect with all the social distancing, bullshit, fascist nonsense. 
So we're telling people to go to Shiva for Senate, scroll down to where it says get Dr. Shiva on the ballot and everyone listening out there, this is something everyone should do. If you know someone in Massachusetts, they gotta be a Massachusetts resident. Tell them to go to Dr. Shiva on the ballot, Shiva for Senate, scroll down, and all they have to do is fill out a stupid form. We're gonna mail it to their home, right to their doorstep. They get a form, they fill it out, we give them two envelopes, they mail it, put it in one envelope with another envelope to their town hall so they can mail it back to us, that easy. So that's what people need to do. And it's not, again, it's not about one person changing the world. It's about the fact that we build the tip of the spear of a movement. Because what we started here, Anomaly for Truth, Freedom and Health, people are getting it. Without freedom, there's not gonna be truth. Without truth, we don't get health. Without health, we don't have strong bodies to fight for freedom. If that message gets out there broadly, we're gonna win. Because it doesn't matter what freaking Trump does or not. I don't care what he does at that point. What matters is what we do. Because ultimately it's we the people, okay? That's what this is about. I believe Donald Trump, I think he's a very good sensor which way the wind blows, okay? He's a marketing guy. He knows, wow, the trend is going in that direction. Holy shit, everyone wants to get rid of Fauci. That's why he retweeted that fire, but then he sees which way the trend's going, okay? We have yeah. close to now, if you go to shivaforsenate.com and you scroll way down, there's a link, we should probably move this link above, it says Fire Fauci. I can tell you that right now, I mean, we started that thing, it's got, you know, I mean, it's, it's more than that, it's close to 80,000, because we update it, the number I have is close to 82,000 signatures. And 3,000 of those people are MDs. Think about that, MDs are breaking ranks, and they're coming to this movement here because they know what we're telling is the truth. And whether Donald Trump agrees with Fauci, whatever Jedi mind tricks he's playing, we can't figure this out, it's too complicated, man. I, I wanna amplify that, because you really nailed it. Uh, a lot of people, you know, they wait or they look up to politicians as false idols on the left or the right, and you could like somebody, believe in somebody, but especially Trump, he's extremely pragmatic. And a lot of people who support him, they think that just like pretending like he's their idol is the greatest thing to do. It's nice to be supportive and it's nice to be nice, but he's a smart guy. So if you can change the culture, shift the culture, he sees that. So the people who say, this is what we should do, he sees Twitter, his campaign managers follow, his White House people call people, they text people. We're all one step, two degrees away. So, you know, I really wanna get that message out because people are say, what do we do? And I'm like, just don't think that, I'm not saying you have to like go out in the streets or anything, but don't believe liars. Stand up to somebody, even if you like them, and say that's the wrong thing. And the more people who do that, especially with this president, he listens, he has his ear to the street, he's crying about the death rate, saying it's terrible, fire Fauci. People start waking up to what, I. for me, you were the first person who said it weeks ago and really started being skeptical. And then I started taking that and looking into what he's doing and stuff. And now it became so big that you see, you see the shift in Trump within two days. He really is a down, you know, he looks at what's going well, on. Well, what Donald Trump, the reason, Do the reason Donald Trump won the 2016 election, and many, many years ago, one of my mentors, Noam Chomsky, and I were talking. This was in 2008, when I got, in 10, when I got back from India, when I had exposed the corruption in the Indian government, in the former government before Modi. I got back, I barely made it out of there with my life because seriously, I had to, it's, it's, a, long, it's a long story. But um, when I was talking to uh, Noam, we were sitting there and we were saying, you know, someone like Trump was gonna come because the academic elites on the East Coast and the West Coast, the Obamas and all these people thought they knew so much better, they were forgetting the American worker. 
you know, all these people are talking about transgender rights, gay rights. Look, that's an important, but it's such a freaking small part of the pop. And I, most people don't care about that shit. What they care about is they're not getting health care. They're, they're, yeah. they're losing jobs, okay? They're, this is, so the liberal elites made up issues which don't really affect the broad mass of people. No one really cares who, what, what, how and what you screw, frankly. They have, to, they have to make it like a big issue. The real issue is, are you getting any more skills? Where's your manufacturing? Where it's happening to this country? And Donald Trump knew that. And he understood that cultural wave and he went at it really hard. Now, he didn't lock up Hillary, which I think he should have, okay? But he should have locked her up, right? But he had lock her up, which the swamp. He had, it's a marketing model, right? He had very cool sloganeering, which was compelling that the American working class to rise. Now, we have an opportunity to take that movement to another level. So, therefore, it wasn't just a movement of sloganeering and, you know, saying we wanted to help the American working class. And that movement can go to that level. In that event, Trump would have been a very important dynamic which put a hole in the wall of the establishment for the next set wave of revolutionaries to come in, people like us, to blow open that wall. So that's the way I should view it. We, you know, there's a crack, a big hole in the wall, and we can go, go in and open it up. But if we view it as, we're gonna wait for Trump, we're gonna wait for Trump, well, I don't think he would even think that's a good idea, okay? Absolutely, so, you're a preacher right now, keep going, you're on fire. Yeah, so, so I think that's the fundamental issue, is that what do we do because the history of humankind has been the establishment doesn't want to give as much once in a while they'll throw us a bone so when the american revolution took place it wasn't frankly a a total revolution for all working people it was a revolution of the merchant class fighting the old guard of the feudal class okay which was better entrepreneurs against the old kings and they threw us a bunch of bones ah we're going to give you some bill of rights we're going to give you the first amendment they're going to give you the now they gave the all of us that so we would fight on their behalf but they also took two steps back right they created laws to keep a certain amount of things in check they created a bunch you know it wasn't like totally perfect but they did give us enough things right the right to bear arms the right to free speech you know etc etc now it is our responsibility to fully exercise those rights all the way because if we exercise those rights all the way then we have an opportunity to go this to the next level, and that's called a phase shift. Let me tell you what a revolution is. It's simple physics. You take a block of ice at a certain temperature, if you watch ice, right when it hits a certain temperature, it goes to water. And then if you take that water and then you heat it, nothing happens until you hit 212 degrees, and then it becomes vapor, right? But nothing happens, just boiling, it's still water. But right when it hits 212 degrees, it vapor. That's a revolution, it's called a phase shift. It occurs instantaneously. And that's my definition as I talk about in the book, System and Revolution. That is a revolution, it's called a phase shift. And you go to a whole different way of operating. So we're now operating on a certain wave and there's certain times openings come in history. And if we push that envelope, which is what I believe we're at, we could create a revolutionary point where we phase shift this thing. Right now, we're at a point, we're at an inflection point. And that inflection point that we're at are you there, Anomaly? I think we lost you. Yeah. And the inflection point we're at is people are recognizing something's wrong, okay? And if we use this inflection point to create a revolutionary moment in history, but that can only occur, I keep saying, it can only occur um, if we break from the not so obvious establishment. 
because mm-hmm. if you look at the history of change, the establishment is very clever. All right, so if you look at the Russian Revolution, it, it wasn't like people coming top down. As people all over Russia were starting to protest against the Tsar, it was—I mean—it was a revolutionary move, movement that was taking place. And at that moment, you know what the Tsar did? He was very clever. He said, "I'm not going to go shoot these people. I'm going to create a legislature where all of these people can go and talk and in my safe, my little safety valve, right?" Well, that didn't work in Russia, at least for two years they had a pretty good revolution, from my analysis. We, we can talk about that longer, right? And then it failed after Stalin and all, all other crap. But there was a moment in history where they seized power. In India, it went the other way. You had people rising up, and you know what the establishment did? The Indian establishment and the British establishment, they brought in this guy Gandhi. Very clever, beautiful writings, dressed in his white thing, wearing his little spectacles right weaving his thing but he was totally funded by the establishment and what did he tell people take the other cheek get get the shit kicked out of you and what he did that's what he did yeah and he was a racist in south africa okay and you know so they always find these guys they it's actors it's like out of a casting call they give him some nice words to say give him some nice writing and then they're used to manipulate people from off the ground building their own independent movements and Gandhi brought him over, and what did he end up doing? He transferred power. So you, instead of kicking out the British, which would have been good with a good bloody revolution, I, hate, I know people may not want to hear that, but we had a good one in the United States. Sometimes you need to kick out the old guard. We didn't do that in India, for India essentially had transfer of power. They transferred rights from the old British guard to the brown-skinned Indian guard. And for 70, 80 years, India had corruption. So you prolong 100 years, nearly a century of suffering. That's the purpose of the not-so-obvious establishment. And and the not-so-obvious establishment figures out a clever way to massage it, but we actually get enslaved. So you look at the... So so this is what the real issue is. It is a... Do we want a revolutionary movement? Or do we want... That's why I have to bring up Bobby Kennedy, man. And I'm pounding this in in this moment. Because you look at him attacking Bill Gates, putting little forwards on little books, and a lot of grifters on the internet are supporting him because they're frankly stupid. They don't get it. They haven't studied history. And at the same time, he has endorsed Hillary Clinton, gotten awards from the Clinton Global Initiative. Now, you can't trust a guy like that. He's part of the establishment. Because until he breaks free of that, until he denounces them, then you can't trust him. Period. So that's what I'm it, talking about. I and keep, even I, with that and the Gandhi reference, people have been told things and certain not-so-obvious establishments are tough, but you look at the Nobel Peace Prize, say Obama got it, and then you exactly. know, the leader of Libya, Syria, was a mess, seven different countries bombing. You go back to, uh, I don't know if it was the 90s, but Paul Krugman, ec- uh, economist, you know, won a Nobel Prize for that. He said the internet would be no greater than a fax machine. So he didn't even have the in- When I was 10 years old, I knew the internet was a multi, you know, it was the new thing. I knew f- from a young age. You go back even further in, uh, you know, history and certain things that they've taught. Everybody's really attached to these things. But um, the, the more you look into it, oh, this is what I was going to bring up. You talked about the last great um, discovery was maybe DNA. You said it earlier. Watson and Crick, one of, one of them started saying stuff about race and you know making discoveries they they ran him dry he can't even get gigs anymore because they they called him a racist so the real 
scientist who actually made the real last discovery is now broke. He lost his Nobel Prize. He had to sell it because he can't do any speaking gigs because the media destroyed him. So they destroy real scientists. They use these figures. I've even heard that Rosa Parks was a, a, a plant. You know, they had a woman who wasn't beautiful enough, and then they used Rosa Parks as the image to push an agenda. Like you said, I'm sure they're nice people. Well, God, well, well, well let's talk about let's talk about this. Uh, let's talk yeah, about the civil yeah. rights movement. If you look at that, and I think it's really, really important. We've talked about the establishment. We know that, but the not so obvious establishment. This is these guys have figured this out, man, and they think we're stupid. And this is why when I attack Bobby Kennedy, all these women, not all of them, we split the movement. And the women who were so afraid because they all want to, whatever, suck up to him or whatever, right? Uh, the, oh my God, you can't attack him. He's done so much. What has he done? What the fuck has he done? He's been there negotiating with, you know, I'm Bobby Kennedy. I'm going to get the courts. I'm going to sue them. Yeah, you're giving him money to go sue them. That's again, top down. You're waiting for him. Bottoms up movement. No, they don't want to do that. And this is a foundational difference. Gandhi will save us. No, bullshit. Okay? Yeah. So if you look I've only at heard that from you with the Robert Kennedy. I mean, I'm not big into him because I'm not this. No, no, but, but I've heard his name here, there. But when you said he voted for Hillary, that, that is that is. That's what I'm saying. And she's vaccine queen. The Clinton yeah, Global Initiative got hundreds of millions of dollars of Merck vaccine to distribute, which the which he on the one hand he says is against the HPV vaccine. When people play, so you have to understand, these people, Bobby Kennedy's actually studied this dynamic. When a friend of mine who exposed a guy who's from Big Pharma, who's been embedded into the movement, he exposed him. A, a, a master's of public, he wrote to Bobby Kennedy. You know what he wrote back to him? I have the letter. It says, look, I'm like Martin Luther King. You're like Bobby Seals, which means you're too radical. Think about what he's saying. That means he knows he's a not so obvious establishment. Because what happened in the civil rights movement was the following. There were people from all over this, names of peoples we don't even know that were rising up, right? And when we talk about the civil rights movement, it was about true infrastructure in inner cities, which never got addressed. So the Kennedys, if you read the work of Malcolm X, who was a, Malcolm went through his own great evolution in a very profound way, bottoms up. What Malcolm pointed out was the entire March on Washington was a circus organized by the Kennedy family, Bobby Kennedy's father, top down through the SNCC. It was, it was beautifully orchestrated. I have a dream speech, beautifully done. People were corralled in. It was a theater show. What was the end result of it? Okay, don't use the N word. We threw a few bones called affirmative action, but none of the fundamental issues of infrastructure were ever addressed in the inner cities. And if you actually look at Martin Luther King's personal life, he was not a nice guy, okay? But he was promoted, promoted, promoted as the person who saved, brought you civil rights. But the conditions of blacks today is worse than before civil rights in the inner yeah, cities. They, they snuck a lot of stuff in the bill. It's like, yeah, you know, segregation ended. But if you look at all the other stuff in it, from immigration stuff to even... You know, you listen to black conservatives like Jesse Lee Peterson. He says it was a total bamboozle where, you know, you could look at family rates. Uh, and even like you said today, when it comes to the coronavirus, they're going to harp on the liberals. They're going to say, you know, it's predominantly blacks and Hispanics who are getting caught. But why don't they why doesn't Bill Gates and Bezos, you know, dole out 10 billion dollars and build fruit stands? You, you go to, you know, certain parts of Brooklyn or Queens if you're in those type of neighborhoods, 
that you can't find good food. You only have corner stores and really unhealthy stuff. They don't give these people the resources pur- purposely and then, you know, throw a figure. And then you can't disagree with that figure. Women, children, historical figures, things that you look bad for attacking. So you're the first one I've heard even say that. Yeah, and, 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 you know, and I'm and, sure people are listening. And, and, they, and the reason I can say that is that I come from bottoms up, man. So I don't owe anything to these people. The people, remember, they all hang out in their little nonprofit clubs. It's all like a hobby for them. Oh, I work, you know, I help the water. I work on cancer. I'm telling you, that's what this is. I, you know, I was in, you know, in in the the Malibu area for three years. I was with someone for three years. Okay, there. It's a shtick. It is not real. It's like the old women's clubs. Oh, yeah, we're helping some black people today. We're going to go feed some poor people. It's like, this is, this is not a fucking hobby. That's what these people do. As long, now they may be nice people. Maybe they want to help a poor guy here, give you some food. That's not how revolution occurs. It comes bottoms up. And we have to call out the fact that this is not even him. It's not even, it's not even Gandhi. It's the fact that what you fundamentally realize, there's a physics here. The physics is you have the establishment, you have change agents, bottoms up, truth, freedom, and health. And then the establishment has its other face. It's a not-so-obvious establishment. And the not-so-obvious establishment, if that dynamic is not understood, people will always be misled. Oh, why are you attacking me? Such a nice guy. Bernie's a nice guy. No, he's not a nice guy. He's a dick. Okay? Yeah. Excuse me. He, people- so- he sold out these people who believed in him, and he bowed down to Hillary Clinton. A friend of mine, a, a, a very close friend of mine, she was running the Bernie campaign here. She was saying, Shiva, you should support Bernie. My friend Lori. I said, you know... Lori, he's going to sell out you on the floor of the Democratic Convention like Jesse Jackson did. She goes, Bernie's never going to do that. I know Bernie. I said, watch what's going to happen. He will kiss yeah. Hillary's ass. And that's what he did. And the reason is people are naive. They don't understand this physics here. It's physics, man. It's like gravity. The not-so-obvious establishment is like gravity. And if you don't believe in gravity, go jump out of a window. You're going to kill yourself. You're not a yogi. You can't do it, okay? But that's what this is. You have the not so obvious, Bernie did it, and now he's kissing Joe Biden's ass, okay? Yeah, So he's, and, he's, and, a to- he's a total phony, and I wanna say to you, do you notice, because I'm into health holistic stuff, a lot of people tend to lean liberal and Democrat, but they don't realize when it comes to holistic and mandatory vaccinations, it's going to be California, New York, New Jersey. It's all the Democrats. We know exactly. Republicans are phonies too, but <laughs> the Democrats are leading the way with mandatory vaccines. How do these holistic people not realize this? They're yogis. Well, I'm like, well, it's going to be Bernie and Elizabeth Warren. Well, so well let's talk about that. If you look at what I love in central Massachusetts, working people, people I grew up in, they're like salt of the earth. They freaking get it. You go to Western Mass, it's, Massachusetts is literally, you have the East Coast, which is like the East Coast, the Central is like the Rust Belt, and the West Coast like the West Coast. So let's talk about this, you know, let's talk about something really important, spirituality and yoga and New Age stuff. Look, let me tell you what spirituality is because I was trained in this stuff at a deep level. I learned how to meditate when I was 12 years old, you know, I learned how to uh, do also, I've had all these profound spiritual experiences, which we can talk at some time, okay? What you read in the books, I've had all of them as a kid and beyond. But what I can tell you is it's not something I wanted to do. My great-grandfather was the most amazing spiritual being, but you know what? He, if he, he was the most intense being I've ever met. He worked his butt off. 
93 years old. He used to be out in the fields working. He did those things you would see in National Geographic where they put those piercings and he'd go into trances. So I'm talking about a but he was a down-to-earth farmer. That's what he was. All this other stuff he did. So what's happened in the spiritual movement, you have a bunch of people, I meditate, I do yoga, I know incense. Well, you don't know shit actually because you don't really understand what spirituality is. Because in this movement for vaccines, when it occurred, people said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to start meditating. No, that's not what yoga was. Yoga was to be in, in union with your body, not to escape. And when a war is going on, you don't run away. When fascism is taking place, you don't run away. And what's happened with this dysfunctional yoga, yoga people, and all of you listening should get this. You're not practicing yoga, I'm sorry. You're practicing some other bullshit. You know, you got some mantra and you're meditating. That's not yoga. You, the Vaidhir, if you want the, the, the notion of a true yogi and a healer, the word in Tamil is Vaidhir, V-A-Y-D-Y-A-R. You know what it means? Someone who goes to battle against death. That is a healer. And the notion of medicine and the notion of being a healer was you were a warrior. And that's where it came from. In fact, um, the entire history of medicine is totally integrated with war for fighting evil. The Archangel Michael is the god of medicine, but he's also the warrior. He's the one who chased Lucifer out of heaven. In the Indian mythology, we have Karthikeyan, Murugan, okay, who's the son of Shiva. He's the one who chased the Asuras out of heaven. You know, we're same, very similar analogy, but he was also the god of medicine. So you cannot talk about new age and meditating. That's why Deepak Chopra, I know Deepak, you know, meditate, do like, you don't know what you're talking about, Deepak. You basically <laughs> created a bastardized version of tr being a true warrior. The true warrior is in the here and now. You cannot have a disintegrated life. In the traditional systems of yoga, you were taught yoga and meditation after many, many, many years after doing hard physical labor. And then you were taught yoga literally in one hour. You didn't go to a yoga school and all this crap, right? You were taught it very quickly and your the knowledge from your master to you came in telepathically because you understood all this because you worked with them so closely. But the training was physical hard labor and you learned how to do things and learn. So the, <laughs> the bottom line is this. We have a dysfunction in this new age yoga community and they're the people who are the same people who are supporting this, who are supporting vaccine mandates. That's what's interesting to, to watch. That they, the liberals really brainwashed uh, the environmentalists, the liberals have brainwashed the spiritual community, exactly. even though they're holistic and they don't realize that it's the conservatives who, they're not perfect, but they're definitely not trying to mandate vaccines. Gavin Newsom, Phil Murphy, Chris Cuomo, they're all in with these people. Right. So you can't, you can't be a holistic person if you're liberal. You could liberal as a like liberally Noam Chomsky you know 1995 type person but I don't understand why they don't realize it but it is the academia uh, the you know environmentalism and the spirituality you know political hijacking for for whatever reason well, well the reason it's occurred uh, anomaly is it goes back to why there are all these lawyers and lobbyists in politics because what's happened is there's a nuts and bolts of reality living life in the here and now and that occurs when people are struggling, when they're building stuff. It's something very physical. And then there's this reality where you have these very rich, wealthy women who go to Deepak Chopra conferences. And I know them. They used to buy my courses, okay? Very nice people. 
but they're out of touch with reality. They don't live the life of what my grandparents lived or working class people in New Jersey. They don't have to live with reality. The 22 million people have lost jobs. It's all theoretical for them. For a lawyer lobbyist, the three lawyers I'm running against, what does a lawyer do? He never has to do real shit. What is he doing? He's basically manipulating words. For every contract they do, they're figuring out how to screw someone with a loophole. So I hate lawyers, and a lot of people hate them righteously, right? Because as Jesus said, they never have to walk, they, they never have to walk the same burden as they ask you and I to do. They live in their own world. In fact, Esquire, which is what a lawyer's called, was one level above gentlemen and one level below knight. It was the vestiges of nobility. So we lost the monarchs, but we created the legal class. And they live, the lawyers and the bankers don't live in reality. They live in an etheric world of self-made nonsense. So they don't have to live in the world of you and I. And same with these people who think you meditate and you achieve enlightenment. No. You know, my mother was an amazing being. She never believed in going to church. She said, why do you, she goes, you don't need to go there. It's all within you. She never even talked about meditation, yet she was the most spiritual being. Massive right. kindness. She helped so many people, right? She never even talked about God. But many times the people who talk a lot about all this stuff, I'm going to this retreat. I got to go to this ashram and I got to go to do, do that. You know, I, you know, the people who have to eat perfectly and do this, some of those people are the most awful people you'll meet in human right. existence. They're not good human beings. So the real issue here is, are you living in the here and now? Are you serving life? Do, do people understand what freedom is? And that can only come when you, ha when you connect back with everyday people. And that's what the opportunity is. And moments like this don't come in history all the time, where there's an opening, which if you believe in a God or whatever, he gives us. And that opening is to see righteously what's going on, that you have a set of people who want to impose their will on people, manipulating people. And that's why it's extremely important that we take advantage of this opportunity. So when you come back, I see we have a golden opportunity. Now, if we don't do it right, we're gonna head into the dark ages. I'll put that in writing right now. And that'll go on for a long period of time. But if we take this opportunity and we say, no effing way, freedom is what it's about. You don't control top-down medicine. And you don't need a lot of people. You, don't, you only need about 5% to start that wave moving. Because when you look at organizational theory, 30% are the resistors in every situation. 20% are the change agents. And then what you find, the other 50% are watching which way to go. That's what they're doing. They're watching which way to go. That's what's happening right now. And what we need to do is screw the resistors. We don't care about them. Our goal is to educate the 50% and educate, 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 and move them. And that's how we win. That's a strategy to win. And they need a methodology to do that. That's why I built that triangle. Truth, freedom, health. Truth, freedom, health. And the way we get to freedom is we have to have digital rights. The way we get to truth is we have to have citizen science. The way we get to health is we need to destroy all the middlemen. Very simple policy. We have to decentralize medicine. That's what we need to do. It, it, it can't be top down. And if people all get these principles, we're going to win. Period. I appreciate you sitting with me today, Dr. Shiva, and I'm really glad to see people gravitating towards your stuff. Uh, we chatted last year, and I, I talked to a lot of people, but you know, the authentic, authenticity is with you, and the, the intelligence, not just in an educated way, but you really have that common sense, pragmatic, uh, go-getter mentality, and it was only a matter of time until people really 
found it in the numbers that they're finding it now. I know you've been successful in a bunch of things, but I love seeing videos from three days ago have a million views on YouTube. I'm like, finally, man, because you know you have the doctor experience that they're trying to discredit people for not having, and you're hitting it with that common sense and real, uh, you know. Well, I, I think the, uh, the other thing is anomaly. It's folks like you who have common sense, who have a inner nature who gets it. The more we you learn it, you teach it, that's how you serve. We need to now learn, teach, and serve. I'm just a humble catalyst who's gonna keep sharing this knowledge. But the more you guys get it, and then share it with others, and you start teaching it. Because these are, all I'm sharing it with is uh, fundamental principles that I was able to be able to garner over a lot of hard work, you know? That I was afforded by, by the fact that my extraordinary parents decided to come to this country. That's where it and, all came from. My, my supporters, Sue and I put this up. You know, check out Shiva's website. Let them plug it because if you if you give money to me or donate, unfortunately, you don't get anything. I don't have my stuff together like that. But you give Shiva, Shiva some money, he'll give you a book, I believe. So you know, you well, I give you a book. More. I give you a tool. And by the way, we told people if you don't, if you can't afford it, everyone listening, because of the economic, we had it like twenty five, five or ten. If you can't even afford that, just email me VA Shiva and tell me your situation. We'll give you a full scholarship. The goal here is to learn, teach, and serve. That's the university here. You know, I'm an educator, man. That's what I was, uh, you know, brought up to do. It's it's sort of my gift that I have. So I can educate, I can articulate. But you guys need to take that knowledge, and then you need to teach others. And that's how we serve life. Because by the way, when you learn this stuff and you start teaching it, these principles of system thinking and truth, freedom, and health, how they're interconnected, you start dwelling, and you'll figure out even the deeper consequences of what it really means. So we're at a point where we need to learn, teach, and serve. Learn, teach, and serve. So I'm going to well, keep it's, it's producing. Working, it's working yeah. on a big scale. I know your numbers are going big, and I see they're trying to write corny pieces. It's like some, some lady with seven cats who's like 35 who hates herself is writing articles about you. And, uh, <laughs> I'm getting a couple million views a week, and uh, they're, they're putting stupid fact checkers from some 22-year-old girl who doesn't even have her facts straight. So... Trying well, to stop I, I think what we need to do is, I think, I think in closing, you know, um, uh, if you guys need other content, you know, for me to build, I mean, I have so much content, so much educational stuff, but I think if people can learn the interconnection between freedom, truth, and health, truth, freedom, and health is really the order of the day. And if we can learn that we need to be warriors, we need to be uncompromising with these people, we need to go after them. They are, I mean, think about it as the you know angels versus the devils it is truly that and we need to at this point it's war we have to go after new york times all these people we have to destroy them they're they're basically deep state agents they're not even journalists look at their even they don't know math or physics they don't have common sense these people have been living a life of where mama and papa took care of them they know nothing and we should show them no respect no respect the old thing is you know you know being you know there's nothing to be nice to these people about so that's why I think we should go all out against them, expose them every step of the way. And I think we should ask, look at, these, look at their own resumes. Let's look at any of these idiots who write for all these people. What's your resume? What did you study? What the fuck have you done with your life? Nothing. <laughs> ask them what they've done. How, you know, you wouldn't be qualified to even study with me. So yeah, that's- I know people who watch me and I'm sure who watch you, they ask me and they say, you know, 
how do you say this? How do you go out and do this? Aren't you afraid? And I try to tell people because they'll probably look at you and be like, wow, he's really courageous. And it's like, even if you're a coward or you're fearful, you're still stuck in your house. You're still quarantined. So there's no reward for not being courageous. And there's really, you're, you know, statistically, it's a lot more dangerous to go driving on a highway than it is to really speak your mind. It's not that scary. Uh, to me, it's scarier to be to not say anything and still realize after you know ten years of suppressing myself, I'm still stuck in the house via you know government mandate. There's no reward uh, for people not. It's it's uh, you know for for sitting back because we're all still here. Anyway, it was great anomaly, and I, I I'm just but it was, it was it was a pleasure. I really like your you know your the way you think and your common sense and your 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 uh, honesty and sincerity. But it was it was wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good one. Okay, be well, everyone. I, I hit. I got the video. Okay, here. I'm just gonna good. tell people, everyone online, please remember to go to Shiva for Senate. Tell all your friends in Massachusetts or your family who know people to go up there and go down and get Dr. Shiva on the ballot. Simply tell them, anyone in Massachusetts you know, call them up right now and tell them, look, we got to get this guy in the ballot. It's for us. Have them fill it out, first name, last name, and we will ship them out everything. We send it to you. There's, if you're lazy, no one has any, any excuse for not doing this, okay? Anyway, thank you, everyone. Have a good night and be the light. Let me shut off the thing for tonight. Uh, anyway, thanks again, Anomaly. It was great to have you. Yeah, I looked on, yeah, no problem. I looked on uh, YouTube. It looked like it didn't launch on YouTube, like it was sitting there. Oh, so you oh. might have to just upload it tomorrow. Oh, okay. It may have just been... Sometimes it buffers, I heard. Let me see. I think it said... Let me see. According to this, it's there. Oh, oh okay. shit. I yeah, forgot to go I live think, on it. Yeah. I, I, I realized like halfway through. I oh, my God. You told me. That's what I did. Sorry, everyone. Late pretty, anyway. Yeah, we'll put it up. We'll put it up on... We, we can download it and put it up. Yeah, uh, and I, uh, I have... It should be if you look. Let me see the... Are we off live right now? Yeah, I never went live, man. I I thought I did. That's okay. Well, are I'll we have. Off, are we off live on Instagram? Yeah, I'm gonna say thanks, everyone. Okay. I'll tell Jen. Let me tell Jen to put it up.